out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never discuss in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is Watchmen. It's all about a guy living all by himself in a lighthouse. No, probably not. But we'll talk more about that here in just a few minutes. Let's go ahead and identify the disembodied voices speaking to your brain. I want to begin first with a special guest host that we have this week. Sir, across the table, identify yourself. Uh, my name is Heath Huffman, and I don't mind being the smartest man in the world. I just wish it wasn't this one. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Huffman. To his right, my left. Sir, who are you? Hi. Um, after a lengthy hiatus, I have returned to you. It is me, Dalton Stewart, from the People's History of Film. Um, I missed you guys a lot. I missed talking about Top Gun. I missed talking about The Last Action Hero. I missed talking about Gone 60 Seconds. I'm very thrilled to be with you here today. Excellent, excellent. We're glad to have you back, Dalton. Um, I'm did you sure miss me? some of us did. Did you? Some of us did, did I'm sure. Did you miss me, Dustin? Did, did I personally did miss you? Did you personally? He... Yes. I didn't, I didn't miss you, Dalton. But I didn't Aww. miss you either. Well, the man who didn't miss Dalton, go ahead and identify yourself, sir. Hi, my name's Caleb Masters, and, and, and none, of you, none of you seem to understand. You're not, I'm not locked in here with this podcast with you. You're locked in here with me! That makes that sense. very upsetting. Yeah. Excellent. You took my line, but that's okay. I still love you. Uh, to my left, ma'am, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and once you realize what a joke everything is, being the comedian is the only thing that makes sense. Excellent, excellent. My name is Dustin Sells, and I realize a living human body is molecularly the same as a dead one, so why does it matter? Moving right along, we're going to be talking about Watchmen Zack Snyder's comic book extravaganza before he was making all kinds of other comic, comic book, book extravaganzas. extravaganzas. Yes, and uh, so Technically, he already did it with 300. Oh, I guess he did, did Oh, he? that the was Frank a graphic joint. novel, wasn't it? <laughs> Another... Uh, uh, Frank Miller piece of shit. Yes. So, okay, well, this is what's going to happen, dear listener. This is not a review show. It's an analysis show. So, whether we liked it or not is not the main thing. Uh, we are going to talk about that at the first point of the show. We'll have a synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater this week. That'll be Dalton, since he's stepping in, and Arthur is uh, now in the cone of silence somewhere in the Antarctic, I believe. Uh, he he took off for Mars. Uh, I ha- would be on Mars with this presidential election cycle we're there going through. is a oh, thing to be said. Fundraising right here. Let's do it. Uh, so we'll have those things first, and then we're going to get into spoiler territory. That's what we're saying. That's why we give the uh, flag at the front that we are not a review show or analysis show, because analysis requires some spoilerific spoilerage. So after that synopsis and quick reviews, uh, and our gameplay might find itself getting a little bit spoilery, but look out, look out once we get to analysis, because it's going to get super spoilery at that point. You have been warned. Mr. Dalton Stewart, voice of the dollar cinema. Let's hear that synopsis. In 1985, where former superheroes exist, the murder of a colleague sends active vigilante Rorschach into his own sprawling investigation, uncovering something that could completely change the course of history as we know it. Guys, when did when did Jackie Earl Haley get into our studio? I need to know. Thank you. It's, it's a little Haley-esque, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's something going on Jackie there. Jackie Earl Haley is bae. Yeah, he is mm-hmm. bae. And the only good thing in this movie. I but, was going to say the, the best thing about this movie. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I'm going to go to my left uh, in a counterclockwise fashion. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you think about this film? 
Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't watch this movie and it was, it's not a matter of protest. Hey, don't, don't look at me that way, Hoffman. Um, I didn't watch this movie. It's not a matter of protest, but I'm going to talk to you about why I didn't, um, we should clarify. You've seen it before. Oh yes. I've seen it before. Probably a couple times I saw it in theaters. And so I've seen it before. Um, I just didn't repeat, watch it for this viewing to know how my 25 year old, more feminist self would have fuels about this movie. But, um, I'll talk about that. Why is I didn't, um, that's kind of what I'm going to talk about in analysis. So stay tuned. There you go. Um, Alexander Bohannon says it's not worth watching. Moving on. <laughs> That's what I heard. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down review? Well, you know, this is actually a really pivotal film in my film watching history that you'll probably hear me elaborate more about in the people's history of film one day. Um, it's a very strange and random film. Uh, but I've got, so I have a lot of, uh, I don't know. I've, the movie's got, a, it holds a soft spot in my heart despite it being what it is. Um, I think this movie is uh okay it has because of the strength of the source material and because of Zack snyder's slavish adaptation of the source material it there are several moments where the brilliance and the ideas that alan moore was working with shine through and are also brilliant even when Zack snyder and the, a lot of the fo folks working on this film might not, might not have understood why that was brilliant in the source material uh, there's also a lot of stuff that I really didn't like. Uh, I think this movie, we, we talked off air, I think this would have been much better served as an HBO miniseries because it is too long. It is episodic. Um, I, th I don't think Jackie Earl Haley is the only thing that works in this movie. I also think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the comedian. I, I think the way they handle that particular character is incredible because I think he's, despite being a monster and nihilist piece of shit is uh way a lot they, they paint him in a more sympathetic light in the film than they do in the graphic novel so i appreciate that and i also like um billy crudup as uh dr manhattan billy crudup's really good in this movie yeah yeah so i don't i don't want to jackie Hilly is amazing and he is the best part but i do think the other there is credit where credit is due to the other actors and i will say Zack snyder uh proves again that he visually he get he he the guy can make a, mo a lot of music videos guys because the <laughs> the soundtrack is great and visually oh my god visually there's so many moments of just awe inspiring beauty in in, in this film um and I think, uh, you know, we might talk a little about this in analysis, but I think this is, in a, in a weird way, despite not being great, is an important film. And I like it for that reason. It's not a great movie. I think it's just kind of okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down review? Well, I want to start by uh, paraphrasing something Bill Simmons once said about Kanye West. Um, <laughs> Alan Moore is a genius. The problem is he knows he's a genius. Um Fact. I hate Alan Moore. I cannot overstate that. Yep. Um, and part of the problem with the graphic novel um, that I think the film gets around, so I'm just going to go ahead and get to spoilers already. Um, it's a 30-year-old graphic novel and a 7-year-old movie, so I'm sorry. I know normally we wait to get into analysis, but we're going to go ahead and spoil some things real quick. I'm going to... Dustin's giving me a look, though, so I guess I'll tread carefully. Just, yeah, be careful. Um, <clears throat> Light spoiler. The Dustin. end of the film is much more... the. The bad guy in the film has a much more convoluted plot in the graphic novel that heavily leans on the importance of writers and artists, and it's basically Alan Moore talking about how important he is. Um, I think his his illustrator, Dave Gibbons, uh, who is a really, really, really talented artist, um, doesn't have some of that same idiosyncratic weirdness that uh, makes Alan Moore so fascinating and yet such a pain in the ass. Uh, and again, as Caleb said, credit where credit is due. I actually think the plot of this movie 
is a lot more streamlined than the plot of the graphic novel, which makes it, in terms of plot, move at a much better clip. Uh, it's a more satisfying story. The problem is the whole reason we give a shit about Watchmen, the entire reason we bothered to talk about it 30 years on, is it's not about the plot. It is about what Watchmen, uh, Watchmen it's about what Moore and Gibbons did within the medium of comic books. That's why people have said it is unfilmable until this movie was made, is because it relies so heavily on comics as a medium. And I think what would have made Watchmen interesting as a film is if Snyder had chosen to do things you can only do in film the way that Moore Gibbons chose to do things you can only do in comic books. Unfortunately, Zack Snyder's not a particularly nuanced filmmaker, and I'm not, not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm I'm not. I want to be clear. I, I like some. I like his Dawn of the Dead remake. Uh, I think that's fun. I think 300 looks really pretty. I think this movie looks really pretty. I think Sucker Punch is an interesting failure. An um, interesting failure is a good way to put it. A Man of Steel makes me cry so much it hurts, and Batman vs. Steel makes me so angry that I cry. <laughs> So I want to be clear, I'm not just I'm not being petty and like shitty for no reason, no. but he's not a nuanced filmmaker and I think a nuanced filmmaker could have done with this film what Moore did with the graphic novel. Um this movie is brilliant in fits and starts and then it stops and it just stops and then it stops. The problem is as Caleb mentioned, it is a slavish adaptation of the graphic novel and that's part of what stops it from being interesting. Um other than not doing anything that you can only do in film. There is so much content crammed into every scene that no scene is given room to kind of breathe and stand on its own two legs. Yeah, and I mean, just to your point, it's it's slavish to the visual, the medium, but it it, it does not understand the the ideas that Moore was dealing with it, it in the graphic novel. It, it he he yes. does not the, the, he does the, not understand the, the, the themes the, the themes and, yeah. and, the, and what the characters represent and, yeah. and why and what and what them interacting with with each other represents. They do not understand that. And, I, it, and the would, weight of it is totally robbed. I, I would say that's totally fair. Um, just to go back to to scenes not having room to breathe, there are several like moments of dialogue in this film that you're like, oh, and this is where two characters would there would be a beat in the conversation. Nope, nope, more dialogue. Like Rorschach just keeps talking, just keeps talking, and just keeps talking. It's like, God damn it, like fucking stop, shush. And there's so many moments like between him and Night Owl, especially, but even with. Uh, Manhattan and Lori, and really every time two characters are talking, they're talking over each other because they're trying to cram so much dialogue into this fucking movie. It's too talky, uh, and to quote Arthur Gordon, and not in a good way, not in an Aaron Sorkin kind of way, it's just too talky in a bad way. Too much is said, not enough is shown. Show me, don't tell me, as we often say, as many people who talk about movies often say. Arthur Gordon fist-pumped the air um, in his cone of silence from Mars. So yeah, um, it's an interesting movie. Uh, it's pretty. The fight choreography is good, uh, but it's long and kind of arduous and difficult to watch. But uh, I'm glad I watched it because I haven't seen it since I was like a freshman in college. So it was interesting to revisit. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dollar Mr. Heath Huffman, guest host of the day. Uh, I almost ran over your name somehow. I was talking so quickly. It's okay. Aren't, um, we, aren't we doing this at your suggestion, by the way? Heath? This is this is your fault, right? Yes. Yeah, it's my fault. I'm very sorry about this movie. <laughs> I would have done it had you not had you not done it. So thank you. So it would have happened eventually. It oh, yes. would have probably happened eventually. So what do you think about Watchmen, Heath? Did you recommend this because you hated it and you wanted to make us suffer, or because you like it and uh, you're wrong? Well, lately I've been struggling with this idea about how things can be cool and not good. Oh, yeah, all the time. Yes. There are plenty of things that are cool and not good. It happens all the time. Like, cool and good kind of exist on their own levels of merit. 
And God damn it, th- guys, this movie's really cool. It's a really cool movie. <laughs> Construct a Venn diagram, dear listener. It, it does involve uh, a giant naked blue guy uh, that points at people and then they turn into goop. What's not cool about that? That is kind of cool. With his big swinging blue cock. I mean, just look at the comedian. One look at the guy. He looks badass. Yeah, the comedian's very cool. Except for all that stupid uh, makeup he's wearing. Rorschach did a lot for me back in 2009. <laughs> it did a lot for you. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. <laughs> when I was just... Relax. When I was just <laughs> graduating high school and wanting to be like a cool edgy kind of dude with edgy ideas rorschach was like pornography for my brain <laughs> yeah <laughs> so true yeah makes all the fedoras make sense right 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 sure um if only i had any right but this movie's like i said this movie's very cool it's very visually stunning um there's a lot of interesting things going on but you need to you need to look and wonder if this movie all as cool as it is achieves its goals and we've touched on this already but this story is undeniably very complex and it's very hard to fit all of the ideas that are present in this movie into any movie even if it is nearly three hours so very cool but it does definitely have its problems all right, thank you very much for that, Mr. Heath Huffman. What I would say in terms of my thumbs up, thumbs down review, I want to render again uh, the great Andre Bazan in his writings about adaptation and the, the difference between uh, something that is faithful and something that actually achieves the spirit of the film uh, or the a source text in this case. Uh, th- this is very faithful. Uh, we know that Zack Snyder made use of the comic itself as his storyboards, and so the visual aesthetic and the brilliance that you're talking about is not Snyder's; it's Alan Moore's, and uh, that. And also his his writer or excuse me his artist. Uh, and I would I would disagree with that yeah, only so much to the extent that um, I I really like the vivid colors of the comic uh, and this desaturated look is very much well it's not Snyder's it's it's Fincher and Snyder and a bunch of guys from that era. It's the, late two thousand. Yeah, the late two thousand. Well, even so back far back as the mid nineties. Yeah, the desaturated color is definitely kind of a trademark uh, of his visual style. Um, sure, and it's a much more kinetic. The movement is much more kinetic in this film than even obviously you're it's well, a comic book. Movement, oh, yeah. Hold on, give me a second. <laughs> <clears throat> the the way people move is much more fa- it's much more Zack Snydery, uh, for lack of a better way All to put the it. All the slow mo got come on exactly. Yeah. So I I would say that there are some pretty things that um, yes the the backbone of it is is Gibbons, uh, but uh, Snyder's putting his own spin on it. But I get what you're saying. I'm speaking in terms of tableau mostly in composition. Okay, yeah, more, yeah, yeah. more so than anything else. And I think that's what's most arresting about anything I've seen of Snyder's is composition, less so mm-hmm. than color palette. I mean, color palette is fine, uh, but most of the time it's so drab and dreary, it just makes me sad, and I don't want to live anymore mm-hmm. or watch his movie anymore. So I always choose that. You know, uh, that first movie he made wasn't drab, uh, and that's why it's just still his best movie. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. Um, so there. There's that going for it. All the interesting thematics, again, those belong to Alan Moore as well. And they're yes. barely touched upon and barely developed by Snyder. Also, the characters themselves are the most interesting thing about the film. We've already talked about that. And again, they're touched upon, but they're not very well developed by Snyder. What Snyder does is he gets Alan Moore's comic wrong in the first place. He gets everything right as far as the, uh, again, as far as um, 
the fabulous concern if we're going to render David Thompson and the Russian uh, formalist right now. He gets everything right as far as like lining up the story in the same way that Alan Moore tells it. He does make a, a slight tweak that is actually not so bad. The idea yeah. um, of, of of what the Doomsday Weapon is, and we'll avoid the yeah, spoiler. It actually on. works a little bit better, yeah, honestly. Th- th- that's fine. And, and of course, that's not him. That's a screenwriter. But Correct. nonetheless. Uh, so that, that's fine, and I'm not, I'm not mad about that. But this is what I see that Zack Snyder takes from Alan Moore's comic, is a very, very adolescent reading in that this is a comic for adults and he says okay so what i want to do is i want to play up the sex and the violence because that's what makes this interesting the sex and the violence is the least interesting thing about this film uh, and about this original source material it's the psychology of sex and violence Absolutely. which is much more interesting in completely the comic. so yeah. and again it's a 13 year old's rendering of a brilliant piece of work well and i <clears throat> excuse me i i think that the biggest example the, the scene where a night allen silk specter bone uh, it's too silly for Zack Snyder to not know it's a joke. The problem is, the joke to Zack Snyder is, oh, Night Owl can't get a boner unless he's fighting crime. It's not a joke. It's a very sad thing about that character. Like, it's a very interesting thing about that character. That's part of why that character is so clearly in, like inspired by Batman, uh, because Batman cannot live unless he is fighting crime. Uh, and I think that's what makes Night Owl interesting in the comic. Uh, and instead, Zack Snyder turns it into a boner joke. Yeah, and and I think that's too bad. So uh, overwhelmingly for me, again, it is adolescent, it is uh, childish and trivial, and I am not keen on it in any way. I, I do want to speak to something you said, Dustin and Caleb. I'm, I'm sure you probably agree with this. Uh, I, I think some of the best moments of the movie are the first two scenes, which are Snyder originals. The, the, the first 20, I was just talking to someone off air about this last night. The first 20 minutes of this film are flawless. The, well, they're the really scene, cool. The, 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 the scene where the comedian gets murdered and then leading into that opening montage that plays through all the history of the alternate history of mm-hmm. Watchmen, which I think is really which beautiful. Which then cuts to Rorschach investigating the apartment. apartment. And, and then it all falls and apart. And then, then, then it's, from there on, it's it's so hit or miss. But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, but again, those are completely creations of the filmmaker. That fight scene is not in the comic um, because the, when the comic starts, comedian is dead right Uh, and then that opening credits really does condense a lot of interesting things about the background of this world that we're going into and i think that's the only he takes a lot of information that is in the comic book instead of just saying it he shows it to the audience and in a way that's really interesting with a song choice that's really good uh caleb you mentioned the soundtrack's really good earlier um the songs in the soundtrack are good they don't work in the movie which i actually would say make it a bad soundtrack Um, because they're so like hey can you tell it's the 80s because we're playing 99 Luftballons? Like, yeah, I fucking got it, that, dude. That, there were, I, again, I think it's hit or miss because there are some that really work. I, I really like the uh, use of, uh, what, what is it, the I'm your boogeyman like, as they're fighting off the protest. Yeah, that, that, was, was, that one's interesting. There's, there's a handful of, of, of that work. But now, again, super hit or miss because some of them, uh, particularly 99 Luftballons, I was like, oh my God, this is just The so old age in this makeup movie, it? sorry, the old age makeup in this movie drives me up a fucking wall. Like, especially Jeffrey Dean Morgan's and Carl Guguino's, but even... Um, uh, the goddamn Richard Nixon makeup is so bad. Nose, oh yeah. God, I st- okay. He's got I a big. He's got a big old penis I, nose. I haven't seen this movie in quite a while, and I still remember that. You think and about that big old guys, Richard Dixon guys, nose? I want to see this movie in 3D so that the nose can pop through the screen. Jeez, Richard guys. Dixon. That's a fantasy you need to have fulfilled, sir. That's what I think. Oh. Um, <laughs> but as we look upon the time, dear listener, I realize it's about time to play the game. Time to play the game! 
This week's game is Assembling Our Own Superhero Squad. Uh, that's right. Assembling Our Own Superhero Squad, brought to you by Watchmen. Watchmen. It very clearly is just different characters from the DC Universe. Yes, indeedy. So I'm excited to hear what our co-hosts have to say, and I, I wonder, because this game seems rather open-ended, how divergent our opinions might turn out to be. I'll go to you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Who's on your team? Okay, we can start out with me, and because I am me, I'm assembling a, uh, a full ladies superhero squad, Fucking because killer. I'm going to be on it, and I want a bunch of badass ladies on it with me. So uh, members of the... A Brohannon Force, ha ha ha, it's a joke, um, are uh, Brienne of Tarth, because you need a, a sword wielder. I mean, she's a superhero to me, so I mean, she's, she's going to be on my no, team. That's, that's fine. Um, Captain Marvel, played by as Carol Danvers, is of course going to be on my team as well. Um, I'm also going to go for Raven from Teen Titans, uh, a classic favorite of mine. Uh, Zarya, my favorite Russian from Overwatch, is going to be on my team with oh, me. Oh, yes. killer. Yeah, because who doesn't need more uh, muscle and tank and uh, big guns in your life? And then last but not least, uh, Carrie Kelly as as Robin from the DC Universe. those That's going to be my Supergirl super squad, if you will. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for that estrogen-induced and, 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 and infused selection, Miss yeah. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Heath Huffman, who's on your team? Okay, uh, here we go. First person on my superhero team is Tommy Pickles. <laughs> all right we're in for this let's kind deconstruct of... this tommy pickles is an infinitely clever protagonist and he's smart as hell and he's one right he's one in the rugrats canon yes if we don't count all grown up which i don't the all grown up is good it's i the, like it's it. it's the dragon ball gt of rugrats it really is <laughs> i don't count Christ. it it's fine he's that smart at one how smart is he going to be at 21? He's going to be out of this world. Next next person, uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog is on my team. He's Naturally. huge. He's the biggest dog. He's also the biggest red dog. That's he's, true. He's kind of the bruiser of the team. Isn't I'm looking to I'm looking to have a very well-rounded team. Um doesn't uh Clifford have like he becomes super a super dog at some points, doesn't he? Like in the books when I was Does a child. Does he do You've that? clearly read more Clifford than Heath has. <laughs> Okay. I just know he's a big dog. That's all I know all about right. the Clifford story. And right. you can't deny that. Who's going to control this beast? Eliza Thornberry, of course. That's that's what I'm talking about. And she also talks to other animals. It's kind of a slam dunk. That's a good one. That's a good pick. So we're missing a bit of charisma from this group, so I picked up Mystery the Pickup Artist. <laughs> oh, that's a joke for me. <laughs> oh, my God. He's got a real fuzzy top hat. And he knows how to talk to everybody. He'll steal the bad guy's girl or whatever. Okay. Whatever he's into. He'll, when they attack the bad the, guy, he'll neg the bad guy. He'll he'll neg the bad guy into oblivion. <laughs> My final member, uh, we're missing a lot of intelligence in this team, Mark Zuckerberg. He's naturally. Oh, as, wait. As I thought by you Jesse said, Eisenberg? Or? I thought you said Tommy Pickles was your intelligence. Well, the Avengers did have Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, so... That's a fact. Yeah. Excellent response. You need two nerds so they have somebody to talk to. We need two nerds and... Yeah. And, a, and an animal, at least. <laughs> and, and, a, and the token female. Okay, we, we're all rounded here. I hey, we've already this. cast Guardians of the Galaxy 5, so... All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Heath Huff and Mr. Caleb Masters. Who's on your team? That's a hard act to follow over there, ladies and gentlemen. Man, I was just going to stick to my good old comic book characters, save for one. Um, firstly, because I want to see, I want to, I just want to see these two characters interact. I don't know how well they'll actually work together in a team, but it'd be a lot of fun. I want to see. I want Blade and Batman on my team at the same time. Fuck yes. I, I want to see because I, I feel like Blade is going to constantly be trying to kill Batman. Batman realizing he's too viable to kill Blade. Like Blade's too crucial to kill him, but he's going to have to like constantly be on his toes. Uh, Rogue because uh, superpower who can absorb any of the super bad guys' superpowers. Hello, come on, sexy white hair, come on. Um, and then I was trying. You know, I, I think there has to be a moral compass for each team. So you look at Captain America, you look at Superman. Well, since apparently this is not strictly to superheroes, I'm, I'm going to go with Goku. Um, because Goku's a great moral nice. compass. He's, see, the Batman's going to back him up because Goku's kind of a moron, but he's kind of an idiot. But he's got the he's heart got, of gold, exactly heart of gold. And if you just point him in the right direction, he can like kami kami ha any of the bad guys. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, just for fun, because because fun superpowers, Storm. There you go. Because he doesn't want to control cool. the weather all the sure. time. Yeah, the time. that's that's a good team. I like it. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Yes. Who's on your team? Uh, I went with the prestige cable drama superhero uh, team. Awesome. So we're going to lead off with uh, the Jennings uh, from the Americans because they are masters of disguise. Uh, they they uh, speak several languages and they do Kung Fu um, and they have uh, electric sexual tension. Uh, so, yeah. Woo! That'll help. That. That'll that, motivate everyone. There's a plug for uh, FX as the Americans. Uh, next up, we need a face man. We need a guy that's uh, good at talking, good at getting the bad guys unnerved before the fight even starts. We got Raylan Givens from Justified. Uh, another FX plug. FX, uh, we have the movies. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have all the movies? Uh, we have the movies. FX. Uh, so we got Raylan Givens on there uh, because I love Timothy Oliphant uh, to no end. He's got a cool hat. He's got uh, skinny jeans. He's got a Glock. Uh, and he talks real sexy. Uh, and uh, he's, he's a modern-day cowboy. He's hella cool. Uh, next up, uh, we got the, the wild card. We've got uh, the brains. We've got Jesse Pinkman and Walter White. Um, oh, wow! Yeah, they're 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 the wild card together. Collectively, they're the wild card yeah. because uh, Walter's uh, impenetrable uh, small dick ego uh, will just really probably ruin everything, and Pinkman will probably relapse at least once. <laughs> like within the third issue, he's going to relapse. Are probably. you going to have? Is this RV era? So what I'm picturing, yeah, this is RV uh, era. Yeah, yeah, this, we, is this, like, is this is like this is like. Uh, in the middle of fighting Gus Fring, and I picture like oh, one, of those, so one I, of those cosmic bad guys has just like scooped uh, from comic books, has just scooped them all out of their collective TV shows, uh, like peak at the peak of the show. Yeah, so this, nice. is like, this is like when they're backed in a corner and they're fighting for their, li- trying to yeah, and their scoop- lives. Yeah, and oh. then just okay. scooped up. Uh, next it. up, uh, basically the entire cast of The Wire, uh, but specifically, <laughs> okay. specifically Omar, because uh, Omar's always coming. Yeah. Uh, Stringer Bell. Uh, where the fuck is Wallace Stringer? Uh, because I need Idris Elba and I need me some Michael K. Williams. Uh, and you know what? Uh, we'll we'll leave out McNulty because we've already got somebody with substance abuse issues, and we'll bring the bunk, <laughs> Bunk Marlowe. That's right. Uh, who I, oh God, out of prison. I I love the bunk. I love the bunk so much. Uh, what, out of prison? What? He get arrested. Never mind. Not important. Oh, he did. That's right. Yeah, that's sad. Uh, I love the bunk. Uh, everybody love the bunk. So that is my uh, superhero squad because I thought that would be fun. I excellent, love it. Excellent. I have Thanks, two squads Alex. I want to name. Uh, now the first one I need to do without interruption, okay? So I can get Go. all the way through it because I have things I want to say at the end of it. The first team will be consisted of Kirsten Thurkelson, Alexander Bohannon, Arthur Gordon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart because you guys are all my heroes. And we would have Aww. regular recurring guest uh, oh appearances God. by one he 
Keith Huffman. Oh, <laughs> my little heart. So, that, team. That, that is a good team, I think. What is everyone's uh, role in that roster? I don't know, but I'm probably Alfred. Um, okay. that, I just want to be the magic wielder. The magic wielder? Yeah. But, okay, so now my next team, because I love all things horror, and I'm going to stick with He's mostly good. the horror comics. So this is sort of a mashup between the Midnight Suns and the D- Justice League Dark and a little I had a feeling this is where you were going to go with kicks this. and grins. Yeah. But we got to have John Constantine because he's John Constantine. That's probably my vicarious mode uh, mm. for this because, you know, he's kind of just in the middle of everything and over his head at all times, which is basically how I experience life. We got to have Swamp Thing. We got to have Zatanna Zatara uh, because she's necessary. Um, we've got to have Blade. And finally, we've got to have Pinhead from Hellraiser and a little Dracula. That is a, a superhero team um, that will um, wreck the world in a good way. I feel like uh, the only thing you're missing is Buffy Summers and Ash Williams. And then they're too good. Oh, oh you need somebody with... Well, Ash Williams is not good. That's fair. Good, bad. He's yeah. the guy with a gun. That's true. Hey, he, th- defies, he, defies, he defies... This is my boomstick. This is his boomstick. Yeah, you d- he defies your, your uh, conventions of morality. There you go. Fair enough. Well, dear listener, those are our picks. We'd love to hear yours. If you want to assemble a superhero super squad, what superheroes from comic TV, movies, music, perhaps, you know... Hallmark commercials, I don't know, that you would assemble, who would they be? You might do that and let us know those things via the magical means that we all know as social media. Miss Alexander Bohannon, do you know anything about those social media means by which the conversations could be held? Sure thing, Dustin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Good Trash Media, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. There's yet another means available, I believe. Um, Dalton, can you speak to that? I can, Dustin. You know, one of these days, uh, the internet is going to scab over, and all the bloggers and vloggers will look up and shout, save us, and Arthur will look down and whisper, you should have gotten a better Twitter account. Um, (laughs) That's right. You can find the Good Trash Media Network on Twitter at good underscore trash. There you go, dear listener. That's where we can be found. We want this conversation to keep on going. We're all friends. We talk about all this stuff together all the time. Anyway, we do this for you, and we want to involve you in our conversation. I now realize, though, at this point, it's time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis. I am so excited to hear what my co-hosts have to say. I'm going to give the privileged position uh, of the first analysis to our guest, uh, Mr. Heath Huffman. What analysis do you bring today? I wanted to talk about how Watchmen reads pretty closely to something similar to like a Greek myth Yes, in a lot of situations. I wanted to point out that this is kind of a story of Night Owl and Silk Spectre 2 as two mortals spectating a a bigger game, a bigger battle between three uh, immortals, if you want to call them that, because uh, we're talking about Ozymandias, uh, Dr. Manhattan, and Rorschach, right? Say, yeah, one of them is literally immortal, but the other two, yeah. One of, of one of them, yeah, I mean, it, it defies the allegory, but... Yeah, well, but one of... And then, no, but I think it, the allegory holds up, because with uh, Adrian Veidt, you have this immortal thirst for conquering the world because you think you can, you can do it better than anyone else. And then with Rorschach, you have the immortal, like, uncompromising... Uh, 
will to uh, impose your morality on others. Well, and also keep in mind that you can mimic the Greek myth, myth structure without it like being, oh, they're literally immortal. Because, I mean... But like no, you, it, it, I, I think it works that they are kind of figuratively immortal, was my point. No, that's kind of what I was trying to oh, say. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's what I was trying to say, is, is that whenever you have um, some... Like, they're so... Both other characters are so uncompromising. And whenever I think of the gods in Greek myth, I always think of they are permanently defined by a single character trait mm-hmm. they act in this manner for all eternity mm-hmm. and, and they don't change like i mean they're always going to be doing the same shenanigans over and over again so regardless of if you know their lifespans yeah yeah i mean i think their immortality is a very valid point i read that uh, well the way i read it is they are immortal necessary necessarily for the way that they are uncompromising with each of their own respective moral exactly. systems yeah. Uh, Rorschach, for instance, uh, has a, he's like the poster boy of uncompromising, right? But he has this more, he has this more, like this moral system that's very, very close to Kantian deontology. Where, yeah, good and bad are universal. Good is good, bad is bad, and bad must be punished. You can see this, uh, especially in the scene where he breaks into Moloch's house to try to connect him to the comedian's death. And when he can't do that, he starts searching through his drawers and cabinets to find what other bad shit he was up to just to just to smack him around a little bit to, to kind of maybe justify it, right? But one interesting thing I ran into with Rorschach was there was this weird flaw in his morality about how he kind of let his own personal politics dictate this universal good and bad he he's narrating in his journal earlier on in the movie about how silhouette had died uh she was the hero earlier on during the montage who was a lesbian and according to rorschach she had died because of her degenerate lifestyle if you guys remember this soundbite Mm. yes but sorry i'm rolling my eyes so hard but you can't see that listener (laughs) you're rolling them for me right good good and this kind of culminates with rorschach Choosing to die instead of be, instead of stand by and be implicit in something bad in his mind happening, obviously. Uh, if we look at Ozymandias, he has a moral system that's really close to uh, utilitarianism, where if something is good enough, if something is more good than bad, then it's good. It, it may even be Machiavellian, where the ends justify the means, meh, 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 right? Uh, his goal is to ultimately save the world, and he in a weird twisted way he may be the best suited for that job just because he'll do anything to make sure it happens like morality is kind of a numbers game but i had this idea like did he necessarily succeed at the end of the movie or did he just kind of put a band-aid on a bigger problem of human beings wanting to destroy each other at all costs and stuff like that doctor we'll we'll move on to dr manhattan here he has a strong sense of right and wrong right but he doesn't he doesn't care unless things affect him directly because he's he's tired. He's found himself wanting to care. He, he's, found, he's found himself having to care about everybody. So one thing that kind of stuck out to me was maybe the God he's representing is perhaps uh, Nietzsche's concept of a dying God 
if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Oh, there's a yeah. Nietzsche quote um, right there in, in that particular section of the comic, mm-hmm. so I think you're right on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can look. We can see this where, in the flashback to Vietnam, where the comedian kills the pregnant Vietnamese woman, yeah, and you, the comedian could turn the bullet into steam or the the bottle into snowflakes. He didn't do a goddamn thing. But you didn't, yeah. And maybe maybe he wants to help, but he's just so tired and caring about so many people is incredibly tiring. Um. And like I said, I, I consider Night Owl and Silk Spectre kind of mortals bystanding over this grander scheme that's occurring throughout the story. And you can tell you can tell they're kind of pegged as mortals because their moral their moral systems are a lot more fluid. Like they their even their motivations for fighting crime are of a of a different significantly more human. Of a different nature. Yeah, they're way more human, like like you said before. Night Owl can't get it up unless yeah, he's fighting, fighting crimes crime. is Viagra. And Silk Spectre's fighting crime because her mom basically made her and she never thought to stop. Um, and I guess that just leaves the comedian, honestly. Uh, oh, and I've, I've got you covered there. You got me covered? Yeah. Uh, I'll gloss over it a touch then. Um, I don't know where to put comedian. the comedian. Oh, I do. Well. I'm so excited this is what you're talking about. <laughs> I, okay, well, I'll, I'll leave it open, but I don't where to put. I don't know where to put the comedian between a mortal and a god because a comedian almost acts like uh, I could think. I could see that he's mortal, but maybe he understands too much about what's going on, and he's just kind of made it his own mission to pull to poke holes in the other uh, Watchmen's moral systems. I'm so excited. Well, excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Heath Huffman. Um, I have a label for this as well. I'm curious to hear what Dalton's label is for what exactly the comedian is doing in this film slash comic book. Go ahead, sir. Well, it's, I'm really glad that's what you wanted to talk about, Heath, because uh, I wanted to talk about those things too, uh, but differently. So what I, I think you were able to do was give our listeners kind of a quick introduction to some of these ideas that I'm more interested in where these ideas intersect with one another. Um and where the comedian, I think, falls is uh, a demigod or a fallen god, uh, specifically Sisyphus. Um, we've talked about this Correct. before on the show. Dustin and I almost came to blows over the myth of Sisyphus as related <laughs> to the gray. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the comedian is a, an absurdist uh, or a nihilist or an absurd nihilist. Uh, he understands, as, as, as you pointed out, Heath, he understands the nature of life. And he has realized it is flawed and stupid and broken. Uh, at least to his mind. And uh, th- this is not the Greek myth of Sisyphus listener. This is a uh, philosophical essay by Albert Camus that came out in 42. Uh, it was a French philosophical essay that was inspired by the Greek myth of Sisyphus, the god who uh, was forever... I don't know, he wasn't a god. He was a human. Uh, Sisyphus in the Greek myth was punished by the gods, uh, and his punishment was to forever roll a boulder up a hill that would then uh, fall down and crush him at the end of the day, and he would have to fucking start all over uh, in the morning. Uh, and we talked about this in the gray, and I think the comedian talks about a lot in this film is that's the grand joke. We're all going to die, and we're all killing each other along the way. Uh, and the, their morality is a lie. And I think that's what's really interesting about the text, um, <clears throat> less so about the film, but one of the more interesting ideas that the film does try to bring over from the, the novel is these intersecting moralities. And I, I think it's 
Albert. Uh, Jesus Christ, sorry. Cameron. I think it, no, not him. Uh, I that's why I went because I meant Alan Moore. Uh, I, I think it's Alan Moore's interest in moral relativism, uh, and I think that's really probably where Silk Spectre and um, uh, whatever Night Owl 2's real name is. Uh, Miss, Dan, it's uh, Dan, Dan and Drayberg. Or yeah, Dan like and Lori. Uh, Dan and Lori are, are kind of secular humanists. Uh, they are they look at Ozymandias and are horrified by what he does, but then they realize that it is really the only way out of Doomsday. They they accept moral relativism, whereas. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Rorschach actively Walter Kovacs. Uh, don't call me that. Give me back my face. Uh, refuses it. He refuses to compromise, and because he's an idiot, uh, because uncompromising morality is a lie. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry if I'm the first one to tell you this. Uh, it, it turns out wherever you go in the world, things you think are bad are good, and things you think are good are bad. Um, that is just the way the world is, unfortunately. Um, and I think that is part of what made Rorschach so interesting, uh, and why 18 year olds love him because 18 year olds are uncompromising because they're idiots. Uh, but Alan Moore was fascinated with Rorschach's uncompromising nature because of how he reacts and how he relates to everyone around him. Uh, one of my favorite moments is this, in this movie is, uh, where Dan finally like gives Rorschach what for. Uh, and Rorschach's like has this kind of really beautiful moment of self awareness where he's like, "I'm I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. Like you're my only friend, uh, and I'm sorry I'm not a better friend to you in return. But I need your help to do this." Um, and I think that's kind of a beautiful moment. And uh, yeah, Nietzsche's dying god with Doctor Manhattan. Fuck yes, Heath, that's so good. Thank you. Uh, because I love how he reacts to everything. I love how he reacts to being spurned, um, which is to go away and hide and think about his life. Uh, and I think that's really powerful. Um, but yeah, I, I'm fascinated with the comedian um, and his absurdism because he, he sees what Adrian is doing uh, and he is also troubled uh, by it much the way Rorschach is troubled by it. Um, but he knows there's no way he can stop it. Um, he is troubled by the truth of life and he knows that there is no way of getting out of it. As he says, when Adrian Veidt kicks his door open at the beginning of the film, I guess it was only a matter of time. Uh, and yes, he's probably speaking about it. it was only a matter of time before you came for me, but really what he means is it was only a matter of time before I died. Uh, and, and that is the secret and terrible knowledge of all life is that it's all going to end. And I, I think the intersection of people's moralities and mortalities in this film uh, is one of the only things that keeps it watchable. Um, so sometimes people get drop kicked and that's fun, but really it's, it, it is the intersection of the, these moral uh, theories. Gentlemen, you're both completely right on. I would only say this. There is a slightly more ancient text uh, to be looking at as well. Um, looking at the ancient Greek Stoics and a little further back to the biblical book of Ecclesiastes, this idea that, you know, uh, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow mm -hmm. we die. Yeah. And I think those, all of those ideas and that long tradition is that from which uh, the comedian comes, comes forth from. And so just to trace the whole thing all the way back, I would just uh, simply submit that little additional bit of information. Oh, that was so much fun. Okay, well, I got all was, I got all tingly. It was, it, was good. it was lots of. Do fun. you want to make out? Hell yeah! Dude. All right. We'll okay. Be back well, later. these two make out. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis do you bring? Yeah. So I want to talk about that was a brilliant reading, by the way. Uh, as soon as uh, Dalton called that reading, I was like, "Son of a bitch!" That's what I was going to talk about because <laughs> oh, I, 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 I just really wanted to 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 you know reinforce the idea that I think both the most interesting part of this film and the graphic novel is having all these really complex, heavy worldviews laying on top of each other and what they look like in the face of Armageddon. Oh, yeah, it's it's really fascinating, and that's, I think, why, I mean, their entire texts about Watchmen and philosophy. 
Yeah, but I want to talk about something a little different. Uh, so I want to talk about the death of the American dream and why superheroes are actually really important to said American dream, at least in the 21st century. Uh, so this all goes back to the line in the film where the comedian said he's talking to Night Owl as they fight off the protesters. And Night Owl says, what happened to us? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Caleb. Yeah, we, we were. What happened to the American dream? What happened? To, and uh, the comedian says, "What happened to the American dream?" We're looking at it. Uh, and I think that speaks back to uh, to Dan's his humanism. He believes in the goodness of people. He believes that we can uh, to a team together. Everyone achieve more. Uh, he believes it. He really does, and he keeps being confronted with the truth that maybe that's not really going to happen right no exactly now uh, i'm gonna dig in a little bit further here about the the american dream so according to a famous historian and pulitzer prize winning james treslow adams uh he cites the american dream as in quotes life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each for each according to ability or achievement regardless of social class or circumstance of birth the, the, uh, the idea of the American dream is one that runs thick in the history of our country, and it's the ideology that most Americans, I would say, will, will let, they'll say it sets us apart from the rest of the world. Uh, back in the frontier years, it was the idea that we'd head west and to California and get gold and be able, or for Oklahomans, it was the idea we were going to build our own crops away from the man, right? Populist. So, uh, that was, that was a part of the American dream, and it's evolved over, over the ages. Um, uh, one, one Lawrence uh, writer, Lawrence Samuel, says for many uh, currently, for many in both the working class and the middle class, upward mobility has served as the heart and soul of the American dream. The prospect of betterment and to improve one's lot for oneself and one's children, much of the, uh, what this country is all about. Work hard, save a little, send the kids to college so that they can do better than, than you did. And maybe retire happily with a warmer climate. So this is kind of the idea of the the American dream, I would say, at least for the baby boomer generation, likely Generation Xers, uh, upper mobility being the key. Now, the I, I, the idea of the American dream uh, and what we could achieve um, and the, the world we could build for our children uh, is something that is demonstrated in Watchmen. Watchmen, however, is demonstrating the that the American dream is that this American dream is flawed due to capitalism and the and consumerism. Uh, something that the movie is not explicit about, and the graphic novel, is consumerist culture that is very cruel. Uh, the industrialism, you can see this all over, all over the billboards. You have your, you have like the balloons that are floating around. Like it's, it's a very big piece, uh, idea that is, uh, in both the comic and in the film. Um, so it's demonstrating that the capitalist and consumerism will, in fact, pit us against each other and natural and but natural extension will pit us against the rest of the world so in this film we have america uh richard nixon who is about to de detonate nukes like i just how trigger happy he is he's like yeah we'll we'll lose the east coast we're all good guys because ultimately it goes back to that you know idea of utility that uh, he talked about but uh it's really interesting to see how uh, this idea of success will pit us against each other and eventually have us turn against the rest of the world as well. Now, in this, in, in, the, in the film in particular, uh, the, there's something that's only referenced in the film. If you're uh, familiar with the, co the graphic novel, is uh, is really key. It's called the Keen Act, which is the act that established uh, that masked heroes were no longer able to work for the people uh, to conduct peace unless they were endorsed by the government. Uh, so, as a superhero, the people turned on you. Because it, it turned into the superheroes versus the police. We want cops, not masks. 
Um, so again, the idea painted here is that we do not want vigilantism. We do not want heroes to save us. We want badges, people we can see, faces. Uh, so superheroes were either sent to A, work for the government, B, fight in the shadows, or three, resign and hang up their cape entirely. Now, the... Watchmen, as a team, represent various facets that drive American society and are intended to show the dark el- underbelly, underbelly of superheroes and the American ideology behind superheroes. Uh, the fact that uh, the American people in the movie want mass vigilantes out of the picture on its own is subversive because we all like superheroes, right? We like the idea of Superman and Batman and we love them. They sell millions of copies in these movies. And we now we have films that are grossing billions of dollars. So that, that alone kind of subverts the idea of what super, the place of superheroes in society. Um, this week, I'm going to bring it up to something a little more relevant, the American dream. What does the American dream mean today? Well, this week we've seen a lot of people turn against each other. Uh, I don't think any of us would argue that equality, particularly racial equality is a really key part of, of our, our generation, American dream, right? Um, and what's really interesting is Watchmen, a graphic novel that was written in the 80s that is, uh, was produced, released in 2009, foretells an American dream that will, uh, will eventually lead to America eating itself and collapsing on itself. To Watchmen's point, we need to understand that there is a flaw in the American dream, that it is problematic, that capitalism and uh, uh, upward mobility, which is a key part of capitalism, will pit us against each other. We need to understand, and I think that's a very crucial point walking away from watching, we need to understand that, yes, this idea is problematic. That does not mean, however, and this is why I, I would I would make a rebuttal against Watchmen as a text, this does not mean that superheroes and being uh, optimistic in your ideology is bad. I think those are good things, but Watchmen wrestles with a lot of ideas, but I would say it ends on a note of a, a downtrodden note. You had millions of people who, who died um, versus, you know, kind of peace, truth, justice in the American way. So back to the American dream, though. It's a flawed ideology. This week, there were two shootings that made it out in, into the news, and those are people who also have an American dream that they're aspiring to, but they're being oppressed by the system as it stands. Um, and that... Watchmen is teaching us that the is trying to tell us that the American dream is flawed and we need to take a look at it. However, I also think that it is while it's satirizing the American dream, it's also satirizing superheroes and showing us the problem with those. I, I still think at the end of the day, though, Watchmen as a postmodern text is pulling apart the is tearing the picture down. What we need to look at the, the most crucial point you can take away from is that superheroes are important. We might all be burned out on superhero movies. But it's also very important to remember that they do serve an important ideology in progress and the evolution of the American dream if our country or the ideals behind our country are going to survive. I mean, I mean, Superman represents truth, justice, and the American way. So Watchmen, again, postmodern text, you know, is, is deconstructing the American dream, deconstructing superheroes. Ultimately, though, what, for what I believe for us to set to, to reconstruct and build a better world where there are not, there's not, uh, gun violence, there's not police brutality, there's not racism. Um, so I think it's, uh, a really, a, a film that is challenging us to look at our core values and understand what works about them and what doesn't. And, and ultimately, you know, you have two different options. You can either do what the comedian does in this film, which says, you're right. Everything's shit. It's all awful. We should laugh it up, laugh it up, and relish the nihilism. Or you can figure out um, and aspire to do something better and make the world a little bit better. 
Excellent, excellent. Thank you for that little lesson, Mr. Caleb Masters. I think we all need to hear just that. Uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? So what I brought to you to talk to you today was uh, the fact that I didn't watch this movie, and and here is why. I didn't watch this movie this week because, as Caleb discussed, there has been a lot of uh, real-world um, issues this week that I felt that, for my personal mental health, as I was suffering um, from a pretty significant depressive spell this week, in light of the events in uh, Baton Rouge and in in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and then, of course, in Dallas the next day, this bam, bam, bam of, um, you know, African-American men being shot, and then everyone's response to that, and then, of course, this Dallas massacre of uh, of police officers, which these are all three huge tragedies in the United States. So this has been weighing on my mind pretty significantly. And so the reason why I didn't want to watch this movie this week was exactly what Caleb said. I didn't want to watch a nihilist piece of cinema that says superheroes are bad. <laughs> I didn't want to watch that movie because I knew that I would have an adverse effect on my personal mental health. And I actually ended up doing some research as to why movies affect us so. And because there is some kind of transient thing about cinema and there's a power to cinema that you can't really capture, um, quite in the same way, um, as you do with, um, other forms of art. So uh, there's this author, um, um, this researcher named Jeffrey Zachs, who's a cognitive psychologist at um, Washington University in St. Louis, who wrote a book called Flickr, Your Brain on Movies, uh, which discusses how um, how our brain uh, is affected by films. I've read this book. It's brilliant. Oh, you have? That's wonderful. This is good stuff. I'm excited yeah, to hear yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. So essentially the gist is there are uh, a few different processes that your brain uh, that happens to your brain whenever you watch film. Um, one really significant one is called the mirror rule. So essentially, the mirror rule is is whenever your brain um, says that it's a good idea to mimic the visual cues that you're seeing. So if you walk up to someone, for example, and they smile at you, you smile back. So if you watch someone in a theater and they're smiling, um, and so the audience is going to have a bit of a... They're going to either be induced themselves to smile or they're going to feel a little happier in result. Um, so that's the thing that you have to keep in mind whenever you watch movies and keep in mind your uh, personal... Uh, continents going into a film is that the mirror rule will affect you regardless of if you want it to or not because your brain is going to do what brains do um so the fact that i was going into this movie hypothetically and i was having some pretty significant depression and i'm going to see a film that is basically a, a, a bunch of people telling me that you know not just that like lives don't lives don't matter and we're all going to die at the end of it it's a very bleak grim um pessimistic movie um, that lampoons, you know, lampoons structures that I, I, I wish were around. I, I wish superheroes did exist because I wish that Superman could come in and be our shining light of morality and tell, um, and tell people to stop, uh, to tell cops to shot, stop shooting black people and tell, uh, random standers by to stop shooting cops. Like that, I wish Superman could come in and tell people that and, and he can't because he doesn't exist. So, that I would say that the mirror rule and then, you know, the subsequent success rule, which the success rule is whenever your brain sees a cognitive input, it then it it acts your it makes your body um, without your permission act in a way that has treated you 
successfully in the past. For instance, if you're in a 3D movie and something pops out of the screen, you duck. I mean, that's the kind of input you, the, the kind of process your brain goes through whenever you see film. So your, your brain is really trying to protect you because cinema does permeate this ball- a boundary between uh, fiction and reality so well um, in, a, in a way that we don't see in other mediums. And so that's kind of why I didn't want to watch this movie. I didn't because I knew that this would have a significant effect on me. And the brain, the brain science uh, seems to, and cognitive psychologists seem to uh, back this up as well. Um, because I, at the, as I'm going to say again, I, I want, I want there to be superheroes and I want, I, I want to see positive depictions of superheroes and not just um, n- nihilist tracks on why not only should we not trust cops, we shouldn't trust anybody. Um, and that's, and while it might be closer to reality than I want, um, I, I think sometimes we do need that slice of escapism. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. The name of the book is Flickr. Give me the author's name one more time. I think it is Jeffrey Zat. Yeah, Jeffrey Zachs. He's a pro, uh, cognitive psychologist. And it's available um, in f- many, many copies at a discount at your local half-price books right now, Oklahoma area listeners. Um, I saw a copy yesterday. No, really? Yeah, really. Okay, okay, and now I have to go. So I just went. Damn. It's there. So uh, check it out, and it's definitely worth your time. Okay, buckle up, Buttercup, because someone just found his collar. We're going to do some theology. And Yes, uh, I love preacher time. Uh, where have you been keeping it? Um... You don't want to know. <laughs> Got to get through the airport somehow. Oh, man. I tell you what. It's hard. You know? Dude, have you ever done that? What's that? Put on a call. I know you have a call. Have you ever put one on to get through the airport quickly? No. I, I, I put on one to not deal with people at the ICU. When Wait, I don't that's a be... thing? Oh, yeah. I, I wear my collar sometimes uh, just because um, I want to visit somebody in the ICU and they don't believe I'm a preacher because either I have long hair as now or look very young as all the other times and they don't believe that I'm not family just trying to get an extra visit in oh okay and so it's the thing I no have to i sometimes. i just i meant more about the airport cutting lines is that a thing i don't even know is that a thing is that a thing it's so morally fluid i'm pretty sure it's a thing man. is it really i feel like it's got to be a thing i mean i, I admittedly I, I usually do see a lot of people with collars when i'm flying so <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a thing or not though well, i mean we have cards so i could carry that for additional identification but nonetheless um so i want to talk a little bit about the theology going on in this film um bertrand russell the great atheist philosopher once said if god is all-powerful he is not good if he is not good then he is not all-powerful the, the idea being that it, if there's so much bad that happens in the world and so many terrible things that occur and god knows them sees them perfectly in the future and is powerful and able to change them then therefore god is not good is bertrand russell's argument against the existence of a benevolent god yeah, everybody he, with me so he, far he cannot be all-knowing all good and all-powerful all at the same time right. correct it's a pick two scenario it is a pick two scenario and uh, we see a little bit of that with the only superhero in the comic that's dr manhattan Everybody else is just a human. I'm just saying. Grr. Well, they, they call them superheroes they, in the comic, though. They, but they're superheroes in that they fight crime. Yeah, but they're, he's the only one that, with literal superpowers. They're masked vigilantes. You're yes. using your entire hand to do air quotes. I know. <laughs> it's more of a claw than anything else. So, that being said, Mr. Si- Snyder sort of makes them all superheroes because no one would survive any of the things. Oh, yeah. Rorschach gets like thrown through a concrete wall. Yeah, and, yeah. and in the very, very fast, um, you know, Ozymandias, etc. This is not what the comic does. Nonetheless, so Dr. Manhattan, the only character, he is a stand-in for God, and he is 
just another puppet who sees the strings. We must go back, dear listener, all the way to Aristotle and the unmoved mover, who first knocks over the dominoes and then watches them fall. This is later picked up by um, the Western philosophy, and which also influences, to a great extent, Western theology, and a view of God in which God winds up the world, lets it go. He sets up everything to happen exactly as it does. This is one of the uh, consequences of omniscience, particularly a form of omniscience in regard to the future, in that God exists in eternity, and he sees all things at once, as Dr. Manhattan does, and therefore has set all of those events in motion. Go ahead, Mr. Masters. Oh, no, no, John Calvin, keep going, dude. Well, I mean, we get to Calvin eventually, but yes, I mean, it's, it's much older than Calvin and Calvin yeah. is really just a, a terrible hack of St. Augustine. Don't get me started. Bow, 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 Boom! I'm Theology sorry. fight. That's right. I, Man, I, I, love, I, I love you guys that went to Christian schools that yeah, can talk about this stuff with authority and stuff. Uh, I ain't got a dog in this race. <laughs> and, and, and Augustine picks up the same idea. And this does deal with the problem of evil in the world in which there is suffering because God has so willed it. He has so caused it and has nonetheless not intervened for whatever reason. And beyond all that, nothing can be done to avert said facts. Mr. Dalton Stewart, I ask you a question. If I have pre-known from the foundations of the earth that you are going to choose for your breakfast tomorrow morning eggs and bacon, are you actually free to choose otherwise, even though special case cereal, which I know is your your uh, your your breakfast of choice, is available to you um, to eat eggs and bacon, are you actually free to choose that breakfast? I'll tell you what's really going to bake your noodle later. If I hadn't said anything about the vase, would you have smashed it anyway? Correct. All right. And then that's how prophecy works. But nonetheless... But yeah, that's the exact same thing, though. Right. Now, not only is bacon and eggs determined to be my breakfast, but I know that it is. And that's the more interesting thing. And so what uh, the question that is then being begged by the philosophers, Aristotle and others, um, that is then imported into biblical texts and Christian theology, and this is the sort of idea of God that I think Alan Moore as an atheist is regularly against, this idea of a God who knows all the things as they're going to happen, that they're absolutely preordained, foreordained, uh, following Augustine, and again, that hack John Calvin, um, following them just a little bit, and Calvin is... I'm, don't get me started. Anyway. You realize there's an entire massive sect of American Christianity based off of John Calvin. Calvinism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Probably All, don't know. Also incorrect. <laughs> um, nonetheless. And then problematic because, again, you're not free. And not only are you not free, all evil, all wickedness, all, I don't know, a, a killing of 11 million human beings per city in uh, this this nuclear holocaust in the fictitious universe of the universe uh, 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 of Watchmen is foreordained by the God character who does nothing about it. Now, I would suggest this, that there is another strand within Christian theology and within metaphysics regarding the future, that the future actually is open and unknowable, that there is part of the future that is absolutely predictable, that I can know for a fact that Dalton's about to swallow what he's about to drink, because I know something about Dalton, that he likes to have a tasty beverage upon his lips. I thought you were going to say that I like to swallow. uh, (laughs) Whoa. I definitely heard that too. Not where I was going. Go, go on. Go on. But he I know would, that because he was bringing the cup to his lips, and I can actually predict, based on his choice to pick up the cup at that time, which I could not have predicted, what was going to happen next. Now, I would say a God character might know more. What, what I'm going to say about this, about regarding the idea of omniscience and the existence of God, what if the universe existed as a choose-your-own-adventure novel, in which the decisions themselves are unknown to the writer, yet all the possible possibilities are therefore known by them and then written? It would take care of the problem that he's 
suggesting. What I'm actually advocating is something more like Molinism, which is a 17th century uh, Jesuit philosopher, or contemporary theology, where we're talking about open theism. Not so much Greg Boyd, more John Sanders, because Greg Boyd is a good guy, not very smart. John Sanders, also a good guy, more smart. Nonetheless. I don't know anything about the things you're saying, but it does sound a little bit like it ties into uh, the commonly held... uh, assumption uh, by physicists and quantum physicists and people much smarter than me that everything that can possibly happen has happened and there is a reality in which that did happen. Correct. And we are existing in the reality in which we exist. And those things are truly open, which actually makes a little bit better sense of the biblical parable. Uh, There's a story where Abraham is is asked to make a sacrifice and he's intervened upon it and the divine speaks in that chapter and says, now I know, as opposed to earlier. I'm just saying. And these things are all found within the text. What I would say is that time does matter, that time's arrow always points forward. The only time that actually exists is the right here and the right now. And that actually makes a lot more sense in a spiritual sense, but it also makes more sense in just a pure metaphysical sense. There is a past that exists that we cannot travel back to, and there is a future that exists that has multiple possibilities. And therefore, we as human beings must act, following Albert Camus, following Caleb's reading, following the reading of Mr. Heath Huffman, and following the reading of Ms. Alexander Bohannon, we must act in our present to bring about a possible potential future that is positive. This nihilism and this defeatism that Sartre and Camus and others would rail against alongside their enemies, St. Augustine um, and uh, Thomas Aquinas, that that future could be railed against following Alfred Molina and other writers uh, that predate uh, the... uh, Aristotle and others, and that, you know, following the 20th century philosopher Alfred North Whitehead, that there are possibilities in a future that does exist, and that whatever God may exist, that God is trying to usher those things along, but in the end, the choices are up to the humans. Zack Snyder's film fails in that it makes it all about the metahumans, it makes it all about the gods, and this fails in a philosophical way, it fails in a theological way, and frankly, it fails in a narrative way. What matters is what human beings do. We're what's left on the planet, whether you're Christian, atheist, or other, and we're the ones who do something about things, and that's what needs to happen. This is Watchmen's failure, and I think it's pointing out some of the failure of Western metaphysics. Mm. Mm. That was tasty. Give me that beef, baby. All right, so um, there you go, dear listener. Justin, I, um, I just I just took my bib life and witness class all over again. You summed it up in twenty minutes that I didn't study an entire semester for. Do Thank I have you. to pay you for that? Um, I paid a school a lot of money pay for, that. for. We later. we uh, the Good Trash Media Network accept all donations on Patreon.com forward slash Patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you <laughs> very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I think we've done a lot of analysis. I'm really really excited. I'm fucking about tired we, now. This is a together. great fucking episode sorry gonna be hyper self-congratulatory for a second i'm just sleepy we did some work and you know you guys were great and i was okay and i'm glad that it all happened but i will say this uh we do need to reach a point of rendering a verdict regarding the watchman again i will go in counterclockwise fashion to hear what you all have to say miss alexander bohannon what do you say shelf or trash else or instead (laughs) i'm gonna trash this movie you would be better pressed to watch the other movies I'm about to uh, list off right now. Like Disney's The Incredibles. <laughs> because we're going to be talking about uh, the p- place of superheroes in America, but we're also going to do it in a, in a more uh, positive and realistic way. Also, Captain America Civil War deals with these themes most um, excellently, I think, in uh, trying to discern uh, what the government's place is in regulating superheroes. If you're going to watch a Zack Snyder's mil- film, I don't know, Watch Man of Steel, it is isn't bad. I don't really like it all that much, but you know, you wouldn't 
feel too sad after watching it or you would after all the father shit goes down um feel sad i mean um in mirror rule type language and last but not least, to combat all the nihilism in, in Watchmen, you're going to be watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Just all of it, any of the movies. You, we need to remember that as humanity, we can strive forward to pass beyond the stars to be able to conquer our own weaknesses and build bridges with our brethren instead of tear each other down. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that. Miss Alexander Bohannon, get a slow clap from the cone of silence from Mr. Arthur Gordon, and I appreciate that. Mr. Caleb Master, shelf or trash, else or instead, briefly. It's on my shelf. I'll put it that way. Um, instead, I, as I, I think Alex gave some great recommendations with Star Trek, I say watch it with the Avengers, because and make sure, I mean, you're, you're going to need, you're going to have all the highs and the lows all within one day if you do a pairing there. Um, I want to say, hopefully, maybe we'll see the Suicide Squad. Maybe might be better. We can hope, maybe. Uh, if, as far as a team of, like, anti heroes maybe having fun fingers crossed we'll see um i want to give a shout out a movie i don't actually like but you talk about star trek reminded me of it if you're going to look at uh, a film that is critiquing this type of deconstruction of superheroes you look at tomorrowland which is a movie i don't particularly love i i also rally behind the sentiment which is saying that you know if we just keep sitting here and complaining about how shitty the world is it's only going to lead to a shitty world like let's turn it around Let's try and build better things. And lastly, readings. Uh, firstly, actually go read Watchmen because that it, it's a master. I, I have problems with Alan Moore, a, a lot of problems with Alan Moore, but it's still a masterpiece and it's still very uh, important. And you know what? If you want to look at something else, deconstructing a superhero that means a whole lot, that's a lot more fun and playful and also meaningful, read Superman. Uh, read Red Sun. Read Red Sun. It's one of my favorite comics ever because it deconstructs with a, in a loving way. So that would be my recommendations, Dustin. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Uh, Shelf or trash, else or instead? I own Watchmen, the ultimate edition, which includes the director's cut with uh, Tales of the Black Freighter spliced back in. It is over three hours long, and it can be yours for the low, low price of $10. Instead, I would watch, if you are interested in grounded superheroes, I would read, uh, not read, I would watch uh, Marvel's Jessica Jones. I, I think it does a lot of interesting things with choice and free will and culpability and morality and um, is really great and um, I love literally everything about that show uh, I can't say enough nice things about it I would also uh, if you are interested in more of this nihilism that we've been talking about so much I would watch The Grey which we've previously discussed on the show uh, that is a film that's nihilism makes me feel affirmed and um, gives me hope in yes. a weird way. Yes. Um, so if nihilism speaks to you, but you're, you're troubled by a, a, a nihilism that uh, seems to say uh, we're all fucked, um, I would read, uh, I would watch The Grey, because uh, it says we're all fucked, but that's kind of the beauty of it. So those are my recommendations. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Mr. Heath Huffman, Shelf for Trash, Else or Instead. Uh, now, I have this on my shelf, but I'm a little reluctant to tell everybody to put it on their shelf. Uh, I guess my verdict would be Either have the movie or the graphic novel on your shelf. Pick one or the other. It, if you want to pick, make it the graphic novel, but make sure one of them is on your shelf. Now, Elser instead, Alexander mentioned The Incredibles, which is, it kind of satisfies that uh, political intrigue of vigilanteism while still being a Pixar movie, which means it's good. Um, unequivocally. If you want more Alan Moore, V for Vendetta, obviously there's a movie and a graphic novel of it that's also very good. And that's quite a good movie. Yes, yeah, it is. Yes, it is. And The Killing Joke is out on July 25th. You guys are 
doing hey, a thing for hey, her. Hey, that's right. And uh, finally, if you finished watching this movie and were just rock fucking hard for Rorschach, watch Daredevil season two, The Punisher, the depiction of The Punisher, and it is very good. Yes, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Heath Huffman. I am going to say trash. Trash, 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 trash. Fire it in the sun and then trash. Read the comic and don't ever watch this movie. It's not worth your time because everything this movie does has been done in the comic genre beforehand. You want a cool R-rated edgy film? Look at The Crow. You want something financially successful that is entertaining using the superhero genre? Look at Iron Man from the year before. You want to look at the special effects realization of the comic book superhero world? Look at any of the X-Men films. You don't need The Watchmen. It doesn't need to be a thing that you see in terms of cinema. It's not worth your time that being said heath earlier mentioned something about the killing joke and i think we have a special announcement that we'd like to hear from mr caleb masters yeah we're gonna be watching the, the killing joke good trash media is gonna be uh, getting together here that'll be at quail springs on july 25th at 7 30 p.m uh ladies and gents make sure to purchase a ticket do check that out dear listener we're loving to have your company at all times and all the places we're moving right along to the end of our show where we say this watch watchmen and watch next week's film which turns out to be guillermo del toro's kaiju versus robots pick pacific rim i'm very excited to be taking a look at that and i'm excited to take a look at any movie because it's not just about watching the movie it's about the conversation movies are so much more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn it's about that conversation keep watching keep talking and we'll see you all next time the good trash genre cast is produced and edited by arthur gordon direction by dustin sells social media by Alexandro Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.